From KIOS in Omaha and Exarban Creative, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. On today's show, I have a conversation with congressional candidate and current Nebraskan state senator Kate Bowles, who is the Democratic challenger to sitting Representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's first congressional district. That's what Nebraskans want. They want people who will always vote their conscience and vote their values and vote Nebraska values. And if if there are electoral consequences to that, um, that is that is part of American democracy. Um, but I think fundamentally we need to rebuild trust in elected officials, and that's an important way to do it. Bowles discusses her upbringing on a farm, her pull towards social work, and the way that multiple state Senate terms have prepared her to run for federal office in the House of Representatives. After a break, stick around for my conversation with Kate Bowles right here on Riverside Chats. Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers. The coronavirus pandemic is changing everything. How we work, how we interact, how we move around or don't, and how we deal with being caught up in that change, which is happening really fast. So to help you process it all, we have started a new podcast, a way for you to get the latest news and science on the pandemic. Because we think being informed is the best way to get through this thing. So every weekday, you will hear conversations and stories from NPR journalists who are covering the virus, the public health fight against it, and how the world is coping. In about 10 minutes, NPR will give you what you need to know about this fast-moving story. We're calling it Coronavirus Daily. You can find new episodes right here every weekday afternoon. Wherever or however you're listening to this podcast right now, you should take a moment and check out Stitcher. For those who don't know, Stitcher is a free podcast app for iPhone and Android and home to over 260,000 podcasts. Stitcher also has smart recommendations, playlists, a car mode, even a sleep timer. While the Stitcher app is free to use, they also offer a premium subscription called Stitcher Premium that has exclusive bonus episodes from top shows, exclusive shows from top hosts, and ad-free listening all for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Like pop culture, you can listen to exclusive bonus episodes from Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness or LeVar Burton Reads, plus get early access to episodes of The Dream, plus many more on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and use promo code Riverside on the monthly plan to get your first month free. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I have a conversation with Nebraska State Senator Kate Bowles, who recently won the primary to become the Democratic challenger to sitting Representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's 1st Congressional District. Bowles has represented South Lincoln in Nebraska's unicameral legislature since 2013. Today, she discusses her life story from growing up on a farm in Palmyra to her social work and time in Nebraska's state legislature, which has informed her understanding of how issues can lead to effective legislation and provided a framework as she runs for federal office to represent Nebraska in the House of Representatives. I spoke to state senator and congressional candidate Kate Bowles via Zoom. Well, so, okay, so we're recording this the Monday after the George Floyd protest began, and just yesterday, several cities in Nebraska were put on curfew, and the mood in Omaha certainly seems somber and angry, uh, whether you're outside or just looking on social media. So first off, I just wanted to ask, how how was your weekend? How did it go on your end? I had a similar experience, certainly a, um, a sobering weekend. I I am horrified by the senseless killing of George Floyd. 
Um, I'm glad that the quest for justice has started with the charging of his killer for murder. Um, I'm concerned and worried about my community after the riots and destruction that happened this weekend. I think it's a recognition that there are really uncomfortable truths we have to be brave enough to confront head on and things we need to take, uh, actions we need to take both as individuals and as governments um, to, to move forward. You know, starting with the recognition that inequality exists here in Nebraska and um, also starting with listening. Uh, I think we really need to hear the voices of the people who experience racism and inequality and we need to expand with compassion and leadership. Um, you know, we've taken some steps in the Nebraska unicameral um, to do that. For example, uh, there's a bill on final reading that would require anti-bias and implicit bias training uh, for law enforcement. And I think that's an important step in the right direction. But I think we really need to listen to the voices who haven't been heard uh, about other issues that should be addressed, things like voting rights, um, access to education and job training, housing equality, um, and, and so much more. So I, I think um, there's, there's a lot of work to be done and a, a lot of history to be acknowledged and a lot of relationships to build. It seems like there's a lot of confusion every time there is a big protest over what protests accomplish. And it seems like there is a history of protest in this country that sometimes seems to be celebrated, sometimes seems to be sort of ignored. Um, I mean, one question I've gotten a lot over the weekend is, you know, like, what is the goal of the protest? And so, like, you know, something that I, I wonder is, I mean, do protests in your mind, I mean, do they need to have like a specific focus? Is there something where like the takeaway from this weekend should be some of the proposals you just suggested, or is it just to listen, or is it just an expression of anger? Where do you land on that? I think protests are often an expression of a perspective or point of view that isn't being heard um, by people who have a power to make change. And so those changes are varied and they're large and small, especially when, when we talk about something as multifaceted as, um, as racial equality. Um, but I, I think the, the next step really needs to be a recognition of oppression and injustice and a recognition that we need to listen more uh, and respond um, in a more compassionate and aware uh, manner. And, and I think that can mean changing uh, the practices of law enforcement. It can mean changing housing policy. It can mean protecting voting rights. It can mean um, protecting access to uh, resources for higher education. It can mean um, joining the NAACP and supporting their work and efforts. Um, but I, I think the um, takeaway from some of the challenges of the weekend really has to be a renewed acknowledgement of racial inequality and a new renewed commitment um, to making our, our country more equal um, and more of a place where everyone can can succeed. Would you say that your experience then as a state senator has helped you sort of figure out how to take an expression from a protest and then figure out what are practical policies, what are maybe a lot of different avenues we could put that energy into to then get some sort of tangible result? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I've loved the most about being a state senator is um, the opportunity to listen and hear from my constituents and um, 
learn about the needs and visions of a community and figure out how to respond to them. Um, you know, certainly sitting through hours and hours of um, budget hearings, I have heard from a, a variety of people and about a variety of issues um, and, and responding in a way that really is a solution to the problem um, is one of the things that excites me about being an elected official. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that I've learned in the Nebraska Unicameral is that as much as we might like the idea um, that there's a legislative solution to every problem, <laughs> there's really not. <laughs> um, sometimes we need legislative action um, and we can lean into that and, um, and take, take responsibility for that. But sometimes it's administrative action. Sometimes it's um, community or cultural action. Um, and that's really where I think my strengths as a, a elected official connect well to my strengths as a social worker. Um, you know, understanding how we can work on a community level as well as a policy level, um, I think is what makes our community stronger. Well, let's go back to the beginning then. So you grew up, was it outside of Lincoln? Right. I grew up on a family farm in Odo County. Um, Dad still farms out there. My sister and I um, are gradually um, taking more ownership of, of the farm along with our Aunt Donna. Um, my, my mom is also a fifth generation family farmer, which makes me sixth generation family farmer on my mom's side. Um, and I, I really... Um, I really have fond memories of, of growing up in Odo County. And uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm running for office is I really believe in the future of our agricultural industry and want to be a part of making sure it grows and, and thrives. What type of farming was it? Uh, Dad still does corn and beans. When we were kids, we had a lot of livestock, pigs and sheep and, and cattle. Um, I always tell people I, I was a 4-H and FFA kid. Um, I always tell people that uh, I got a little too attached, especially to the to the lambs. Um, and so I ended up uh, showing heifers because then I could put the heifers back into the herd um, and didn't didn't have to to lose them right after the county fair. So um, really have have enjoyed uh, that opportunity to, you know, to take care of livestock and um, see a product from start to finish. Was it a political household or political farm that you grew up on? <laughs> it's that, what an interesting question. Um, my growing up, my my dad was always a, a pretty strong Democrat, and and my mom was always pretty clear eyed about her more Republican views. And I think that's made me a better uh, state senator because it it helped me think about both sides of an issue from the beginning, um, and I understood that that good people. Um, with with compassion and the best interests of a community at heart could have different approaches and solutions to a problem. I always joke that my mom is now the chair of Republicans for Kate. Um, so I think she uh, she sees some a few things my way. Well, yeah, I think that that you, there's sort of this stereotype that all farmers are at some point just became Republicans. And it's been interesting just even doing the show because I've interviewed various people running for offices who grew up on farms, whether it was, you know, like a Republican upbringing or not. But it seems like there is sort of this stereotype that maybe is not true. I mean, is it is there actual more, you know, different political solutions being decided on farms? It's not it's not true, I guess, that it's all sort of like red America in, in farming. Mm-hmm. Um my experience with uh, farmers of all types and stripes is that the the thing that I think um, is most common among Nebraska farmers is a real streak of independence. 
Um, they they really embrace uh, being their own boss and calling their own shots and taking responsibility uh, for their own futures. And so, you know, Republican or Democrat, I think that respect for hard work um, and that recognition um, that farmers, first and foremost, they want to raise a competitive crop and have a, a, a chance to succeed um, and have a market um, to sell that product to. Um, that's really what brings brings farmers together um, rather than any political point of view. I think maybe tenacity, independence, and stubbornness um, are the things um, that that unite uh, a lot of the ag industry. And so, you know, that's it's one of the things I, I'm really driven to work on as a member of Congress is how do we make sure farmers uh, get fair, get a fair break, a fair take, fair competition in sending their livestock to market? How do we make sure that in a global economy, um, we can sell Nebraska beef anywhere and everywhere and give those farmers the chance to do what they love and succeed in doing it? Well, and so when you were growing up, then was it something where you agreed with your mom or your dad more as you were hearing some of their political opinions? You know, the truth is that um, when I was when I was growing up, um, I was a farm kid in the 80s. Uh, it was a pretty stressful time for our family. Um, I remember very clearly a day when my dad he flipped a bucket over um, and he sat down on it um, and put his elbows on his knees to to look my sister and I in the eye and asked whether or not she and I, my sister Kelly, um, thought that that we should keep farming as a family. Um, and that that was a really tough moment. And my my sister and I said, of course, of course, we love the farm. We, we want to keep farming. Um, what I understand now that I didn't understand then um, was that the reason it was so hard on our family wasn't because we weren't working hard or we weren't giving it all that we, we could. It was because of forces bigger than us. It was because of trade policy. Um, and, and I think that that sort of transcends um, whether or not you you are thinking about one side or another side of a political divide. Mm. Um, I think that experience made me committed to fighting for Nebraska farmers and fighting for the best interests of this state and making sure that our economy can thrive. And I don't care whether that's got a red or a blue label. Um, and I don't think in the 80s my parents cared either. <laughs> I think they debated and wondered and worried and um, discussed what solutions might work. Um, but I don't know that, that, um, that whether that was those solutions were labeled Republican or Democrat was the, was the top thing on our minds in the eighties. And I, I don't know that it's the top thing on farmers minds right now. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with congressional candidate and current Nebraska state Senator Kate Bowles, who is the democratic challenger to sitting representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's first congressional district. Well, and it seems like so from an early age, you had to be aware of sort of economic forces of sort of these bigger ideas that just because of the nature of being involved with farming, you sort of have to be engaging with that in a way that people growing up and, you know, with their parents having other professions maybe don't. So was that sort of your in to some sort of passion for how policy gets made? That's a great question. Um, I, I never intended to be an elected official. Um, this this reference will date me a little bit, but I, I never thought I was going to be Alex P. Keaton. Um, that wasn't what I aspired to be. Um, I, I knew I cared about people. Um, I knew what what drove me um, was being compassionate and um, responding to people's needs and caring about my my friends and my neighbors and my community. Um, so when I graduated from college, I really expected to 
um, you know, be be running a homeless shelter or, um, you know, working with kids in the child welfare system. Um, and the truth is that I've been able to do those things as an elected official. Um, but I found my way to public policy through community service. Uh, right out of college, I joined a, a program that was sort of like an AmeriCorps program. Um, I, I got a $10,000 a year stipend and free housing, and I worked for the Ohio Association of Second Harvest Food Banks. Um, so I helped with an agricultural commodities uh, distribution program um, and other needs for the food bank system. And that's when the lights really went on for me, that if I cared about people, um, if I cared about uh, whether or not my community was succeeding, then I cared about public policy and I cared about politics. And that's when I really started paying attention um, and started getting involved in political campaigns and started uh, knocking doors and it took off from there. But so, so when you were a kid, you you gravitated towards social work is what you wanted to do? Yeah. I, I don't know that when I was a kid, I knew that I was going to be a social worker, um, but I knew that who I was was the kind of person who cared about other people. Um, you know, I was the the kid who who rescued every farm cat in a you know twelve mile radius. Um, I was the the kid who um, in the Palmyra Presbyterian Church we we used to every spring um, get these little fish shaped coin banks. Um, that we were supposed to fill up for UNICEF, for, for the United Nations Children's Fund. Um, and I was the kind of kid who would save up her allowance and, and stuff that little piggy bank um, for the kids who needed it. So, you know, I, I think some of it is certainly who I was and what inspired me. Some of it was also, to be honest, good lessons taught by my mother. Um, she's one of the kindest, um, most compassionate people I know, and I think she taught me well. And so you went to college in Nebraska too, right? Yep. I went to Nebraska Westland. And what did you study? Uh, communications and sociology. Okay. So that was, you were, you were trying to like widen the worldview of how things work, why people are the way they are at that point. Yeah. I, I started out in communications and then um, started picking up classes in sociology and realized that I really liked that study. Um, through our university ministries program, I was able to, adjo to join um, a service learning initiative, which took me to um, everywhere from the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota um, to Tanzania, Africa. And I was so fortunate um, to have that opportunity um, to experience the world um, and to do it through service learning, to do it through an approach that was intended to help me understand other cultures and how I fit in to making the world a better place. So I'm, I'm grateful. Um, I, I uh, was able to thank the benefactors of that program, the Wolfs, the Wolf family, um, about 10 years ago at a benefit dinner. And it, it was kind of a moment for me because they recognized how important it was for, um, you know, working class Nebraska kids to have a taste of the world. Um, and it, it has shaped my entire life. Yeah. It sounds like that must've been just a succession of sort of mind blowing experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, one of my, my memories from that time, um, is being on the Rosebud Reservation and um, we had, we were working at a reservation school. Extra hands on deck, um, especially for the early learning kids, for the little kids. Um, and I made friends with the, you know, a little ponytailed girl, you know, a little, a little sweetheart of a kid. Um, and she, she was just a little wisp of a thing. Um, but at lunchtime 
on Friday, she downed two lunches quicker than I could finish my first. Uh, and I thought about that and I looked at her and I kind of made eye contact with, with her teacher. And her teacher pulled me aside later and explained that she, that this little girl might not get lunch over the weekend. And so she was eating two meals now because she didn't know if she was going to get one tomorrow or the next day. Um, and that sort of thing has stuck with me my entire career. It's it's one of the things that made me pursue the job with the food banks. Um, but it's it's also one of the things that reminds me um, that this isn't this work isn't just about big ideas. It's not just about um, political philosophy. It's about whether or not um, a, a kid gets her lunch and whether or not she's able to get what she needs um, to grow up to be a successful adult. And so, I mean, you, you were drawn to the hands-on, like directly helping those people. It wasn't so much like the macro, I want to enact policy at that level. So why do you think you were drawn to social work then specifically, as opposed to the factors that lead to what social work has to address? I think I really, truly love people. <laughs> I think I really like um, serving my, my neighbors and getting to know them and um, being a problem solver with them. And for me, public policy is really an extension of that. Um, it's an extension of wanting to make sure that the, the kids in my high school get to go to college, an extension of um, making sure that the farmers in my community have the opportunity to sell their products, an extension of, um, you know, my, my neighbors being able to afford their prescription drugs. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that's missing in Washington, D.C. I think it's one of the things that we've gotten far too far away from in American politics today. We are um, full of partisan bickering um, and, and, you know, influence of special interest groups. And we've gotten too far away from the idea that um, representative democracy means that you're um, going to the halls of government to fight for and improve the interests of your community and your neighbors um, and your congressional district. And, you know, that's that's part of what I plan to do as a member of Congress. And so when did the state legislature plan form for you? Was there like a moment where the light bulb went off when you had to do it? <laughs> that's that's such a great question. Um, when I was I moved back to Nebraska um, after grad school and after working for Lutheran Services in America in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years. Um, I moved home and was, was working in a public interest law firm on kids and family issues, um, on helping families access jobs, um, on helping uh, families access supports. And one of my jobs was to answer an intake and information line. So I heard directly um, from families a lot. Um, and I, I was working with families who were wrapped up in um, some challenges that the state was having with the child welfare system. So our system, we had done sort of an experiment um, to, to privatize those services and have community organizations really take the lead on responding to child abuse and neglect. That failed because of poor planning and underfunding. Um, and I was taking phone calls from foster parents, from biological parents, from grandparents who did not know what was going on in a chaotic system um, and who knew that they and their families and their kids and their loved ones deserved better. Um, and, and 
it occurred to me at that point in time that if I wanted my values to be represented in government systems, if I wanted um, better for those kids and those families, I was going to have to step up and do it myself. Um, and I did. It's been a, a wonderful experience. Um, and I did it by knocking on doors and asking for votes one-on-one, face-to-face. Um, and it, it has uh, it has shaped uh the, the rest of my life and the way that I've handled myself as an elected official. I'm talking with Kate Bowles, Nebraska State Senator and Democratic challenger to sitting Representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's 1st Congressional District. We'll continue the conversation right here on Riverside Chats after this quick break. Hello? Wanna be a munchie boy? Listen to Omaha's new goofy food podcast, The Munchie Boys. Every week, we get food from a different local restaurant. Let's go. We munch. Yes, there is munch. And talk about the experience. What we got. Where did we go? We're still there. Two boxes of food. In lighthearted banter. I just jammed the rest of the Mediterranean in my mouth. Meatball-based items. In a way that is both zany. This is going to be crazy. We might end up throwing up. And fun. My hands are burning. Hell yeah. Every episode features an exclusive song. Where we sing about our weekly adventures and feature a different analog synthesis. It's a synth model. Play the track now. Now, yeah, yeah. it sounds like haha. Check out Munchie Boys on Spotify, YouTube, streaming or streaming, and most other digital outlets. That's what happens. From Omaha Public Radio, I'm Emily Chen Newton, and you're listening to Made in the Middle: How the Midwest Made Over America. The podcast that's part history and culture and part science, and all about how the Midwest has influenced the United States as a whole. But here's the thing. I am not from the Midwest. So in every episode, I do the research and then I sit down with someone who is from here. And together we explore the stories of famous persons, products, inventions, social movements, and cultural beliefs that got their start right here in the middle of America. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Kate Bowles, Nebraska State Senator and Democratic challenger to sitting Representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's 1st Congressional District. Now, it seems like that's being a state uh, representative, being a state senator, has got to have some something daunting just in the fact that, I mean, you make, what, $12,000 a year is the salary for that? <laughs> so you have to, like, figure out yeah. all these logistics beyond yeah. just the job itself yeah. and getting elected. Yeah. What was that process oh. like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a kind question for you to ask. Um, I'm I'm fully committed to being a state senator and um, knew what I was getting into when I when I started it. But I've often said that the hardest part about being a state senator is having another job. Um, you know, I, it's always been just me. Um, I I don't have a family, and I you know, I've. I am now engaged, but at the at the time that I started this journey, um, it was just me, and so I had to figure out how to pay the bills and be an elected official. Um, but Tom, I am I am so grateful that that is the way that it worked for me. It made me a better elected official because I had to worry about paying my bills. I knew to the penny how much I paid for my health insurance. Um, and I knew um, the impact that the nonprofit that I was working for um, had on people's lives and the impact that government had on my place of business. And so um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it any other way. 
Okay, so State Senate, you did that for how many years have you been in the State Senate now? This is this is my eighth year. Uh, we've got 17 days left in the legislative session this year, um, and then I'll I'll be term limited. And what a what a strange final year for it, right? <laughs> Certainly, but but what an opportunity to live to use the experience that I've gained. Um, certainly, it's never been a more challenging time for the state budget, um, but certainly the the experiences that I've had making tough decisions, um, finding creative ways to balance the budget while protecting state priorities, um, those are our skills that um, will serve me well as we finalize the budget and navigate uncertain economic territory for Nebraskans. Um, and I, I think they'll serve me well in Congress. What was the learning curve of figuring out how to become comfortable working with legislation and then actually getting somewhere with it? What an interesting question. Um, I think the learning curve was easier for areas in which I had expertise mm. um, and was something I had to work at in areas where I didn't have professional experience. Um, so, for example, I was added to the Special Oversight Committee on the Nebraska Department of Corrections um, the summer after my first year as a state senator, um, and certainly had experience with mental health, had some experience working with youth, um, but did not have any experience working uh, in the criminal justice field, and really had to work hard to lean in and understand the details and understand the policies. Um, and for me, that meant um, you know visiting the corrections facilities on a regular basis, talking with the, um, the staff members in my community and asking them what I needed to know to make good decisions. Um, you know, talking with people who are incarcerated as well as people who um, are part of the legal system to better understand the context that I was working in um, so that I could bring policy change that, that addressed the challenges that we were facing. Um, that committee was formed right after um, the, the very sad killings of four people by, by Nico Jenkins. Um, and the whole community's hearts were broken um, after that situation. And I'm proud of the progress that that committee was able to make. Certainly, there's more progress to be made. But two of the policies that came out of that work were um, that, that I initiated were making our board of parole independent. Um, independent from the Department of Corrections and independent from the governor so that they could make fair decisions um, that were, were based in justice and equality um, rather than influenced um, by any sort of political or partisan forces. I'm, I'm proud of that. I, th I think that made our system more just and fair. Um, the other uh, policy that, that I led directly after that first year um, on the committee was to create something called the discharge review team. And basically what that team is responsible for is making sure that there is a expert review panel of individuals who look at each and every inmate who might be a mentally ill danger to themselves or others um, as they leave correctional facilities so that we never have, um, to the best of our ability, we never have Nico Jenkins um, situation happen again. Um, it's my perspective that he should have been um, put into our um, regional center and gotten continued mental health treatment. He did not, and people died because of it. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of that piece of legislation. Um, but to your original question, 
that was a learning curve um, that I had to commit myself to. And I had to learn not just by understanding the policies, but by understanding and working with the people. And then, so when you knew you were getting term limited, so you're sort of thinking about next steps. Was it clear to you leading up to this that you wanted to take on the next stage of going to federal office then? It, it really did feel like a, a calling and a responsibility. I am frustrated with the way that Washington, D.C. works right now or doesn't work right now. And I think I'm joined in that um, by the majority of Nebraskans. Um, people are tired of partisan bickering. They're tired of um, infighting instead of finding solutions. Um, and I think that that starts with each and every one of us who's willing to step up and try to, to do leadership differently. Um, so, you know, in spite of um, there maybe being some other easier choices that I could have made, um, I am fully committed to pursuing this office because I think Nebraska and Washington, D.C. need change and Nebraskans deserve better. Um, and I'll I'll keep working for the citizens, not not for any other purpose. Do state senators come in contact with the federal representatives? Like, have you encountered Jeff Fortenberry much? Some. Um, there have been times when my office and his office have both worked on uh, constituent casework issues, um, and and that that's important. The at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whose whose office um, is answering the phone call. What what matters is that the constituent get their get their problem solved. Um, th there have been times when my office and my colleagues have sent Congressman Fortenberry and the whole congressional delegation um, letters and communications. Um, for example, we just sent a letter this uh, spring uh, calling on Congressman Fortenberry and the rest of the delegation to reopen the health insurance exchange after the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and unfortunately, that's not the choice that our delegation made. It's not the choice that this administration has made. And that has resulted in more uncertainty and more struggle for Nebraskans who are seeking health insurance during a global pandemic and during a time of employment uncertainty. And so um, there have been times when we have engaged our federal delegation. Um, that's one example. And that's one example that I would like to do and respond to differently um, when elected to Congress. And I mean, so when you decide to take on the stage of running for federal office, of running against uh, Congressman Fortenberry, what are the steps that you had to take in order to make that work, in order to make that a reality? Sure. Well, I, I think the first thing you do is you you um, build your personal support network. Um, I just got engaged this year. Bringing Sean along as my teammate was one important step, making sure that I talked to my, my family, my mom, my sister, my nieces, asking them to be on my team was an important first step. And then growing from there, um, asking for uh, the colleagues that I've worked with um, in the legislature and in my professional career to be on my team and help me along, to give me insight as to what we need to do next. Um, and then really choosing the issues that we think are most important to Nebraskans and, and making sure that those are the issues that, that they're looking for us to respond to. And for us, that's really healthcare. Um, polling information tells us that Nebraskans are concerned about healthcare. Um, conversations with literally thousands of Nebraskans in this campaign have shown us that healthcare is a top priority. Um, access, affordability, affordability of prescription drugs, 
quality, all of those issues um, were important before the pandemic um, and have certainly been elevated um, to top importance post-pandemic. Do you get, I mean, when you're talking about that, I mean, even just as a state representative, as far as uh, Governor Ricketts and the way that he's responded to some of the health care issues in the state, I mean, it seems like it's an ongoing disconnect between some of the voters and then some of the people in power. What do you make of, let's say, Governor Ricketts and his approach to healthcare in Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Uh, to give an, a specific example, in Nebraska's first congressional district, the Medicaid expansion ballot initiative passed by nine points. Um, that's a pretty good threshold. That's a, a clear articulation from the voters about what they need. And it's it's the will of the people that was passed through a ballot. Um, so Medicaid expansion is supported by the people of this district and should be implemented. I do think that the Ricketts administration um, could have implemented Medicaid expansion more quickly, um, more expeditiously. And I, I critique Congressman Fortenberry for vote after vote after vote after vote after vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act and repeal access to health insurance coverage um, when the people of this district have voted, they've had their say, and they want to make sure that health care access is available for Nebraskans. So, you know, I, I think there is a point of contrast there uh, between my position and uh, Congressman Fortenberry and the approach of Governor Ricketts. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with congressional candidate and current Nebraska State Senator Kate Bowles, who is the Democratic challenger to sitting Representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's first congressional district. It seems like you're, you're critical of the idea of, you know, the way that policy from parties impacts or sort of muddies actual issues or actual philosophy and approaches to things. Was there ever uh, an instant where you thought about running as an independent rather than a Democrat? No, (laughs) no, uh, because I really believe um, the, the values of the democratic party um, and, and so many stakeholders um, in me and in my career so far have been folks who believe in those values. So um, workers and labor unions, for example, have always been wonderful teammates of mine. Um, and I think those democratic principles of uh, making sure that workers' rights are protected um, is something that I hold dear. And, and I think that's part of who I am. Um, and, and, you know, labels are perhaps a little less important to me than other elected officials. Um, but at the end of the day, I am uh, grateful for the teammates who have helped me succeed so far and glad to work with them. Do you find that there's more latitude under the Democratic banner than Republicans seem to be having under their banner? That's that's an interesting question. Um, having, having never been a Republican, I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, but I, I think being a Nebraska um, elected official has been very different than um, what I observe um, and see on the federal level. Um, I'm I'm so proud of being a member of the Nebraska Unicameral, which you know our membership is elected um, without the designation of a political party. Our leadership is elected by secret ballot, um, and our agenda is set by our speaker, not by either party, um, and and we don't have a caucus. And so I think Washington, D.C. has a lot to learn from Nebraska because we tend to organize more on the issues that matter to us um, than than the political party that labels us. So, you know, there are certainly times when we've been working on issues 
um, such as uh, the Water Sustainability Fund, um, where, where my uh, interest in making sure the ag economy succeeds um, was, was more important than the fact that Tom Carlson, who happens to be a Republican, was the, was the person carrying that bill. Um, so, uh, you know, I think being a Nebraskan, uh, being a member of the Nebraska Unicameral has maybe informed and led some of my choices in the way that I navigate my current congressional race. Do you think there's a way to make the federal government work more like that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that starts with campaign finance reform. Um, I think it also includes um, individual elected officials um, standing up and, and pushing back and voting their consciences and voting the best interests um, of their constituencies um, and, and dealing with the consequences. Um, there, are, there are things that are fundamentally more important to me um, than, than my own position. Um, and I think that that's what Nebraskans want. They want people who will um, vote with integrity um, and, and always vote their conscience and vote their values and vote Nebraska values. And if, if there are electoral consequences to that, um, that, is, that is part of American democracy. Um, but I think fundamentally we need to rebuild trust in elected officials and that's an important way to do it. So what are some of the other issues then that you would want to bring and want to enact in terms of policy if elected into federal government? What, one of the issues that I've begun working on in the Nebraska unicameral and that I will focus on as a member of Congress um, is, is uh, affordability of prescription drugs. Uh, I brought a bill uh, this last legislative session about the affordability of insulin for people who uh, experience diabetes. And it was one of the most compelling hearings that I've ever participated in is about rationing their insulin, um, about getting married sooner than they expected to, to get their partner's health insurance coverage, um, about uh, worrying about children and their ability to afford their insulin as they start their professional careers. Um, so that was a bill that was really meaningful me to me in the Nebraska unicameral. And that idea that we should and can do better on the congressional level to make sure people can afford life-saving life medications um, is something I'm committed to working on. Um, that might mean things like uh, capping the out-of-pocket costs for people uh, on Medicare who are purchasing prescription drugs. It might mean increasing um, the ability for uh, government programs to negotiate with drug manufacturers to, um, to, make, to make drugs more affordable. Um, it might mean partnering with the National Institutes of Health um, to do more drug research uh, so that we can create more affordable versions of prescription drugs. Um, all of those things are things that I'll dive deeply into as a member of Congress um, to, to try to keep this promise uh, that I'm making to Nebraskans that I'll fight for their interests, um, especially their healthcare interests. And so, I mean, you just come off the primary. Uh, and so, I mean, did, did, did you learn any lessons through the primary process that you'll take into office, uh, you know, or take into even just running in the general election? Uh, absolutely. We we ran a lot of the primary post-coronavirus, so right. we learned how to connect with people um, outside of traditional means. Um, you know, one of the things I've always enjoyed the most about uh, campaigns is door-to-door -door contact, is, is knocking on my neighbor's door and asking them what they think. We've had to find other ways to do that, um, and we've done that through 
um, phone calls. We've done that through text messages. We've done that through Zoom meetings. We've done that through um, surveys online. We've done that through a direct postcard campaign where we sent postcards out to um, Nebraskans and asked them to, to fill it out and send it back to us. So some of what we've learned in the primary is how to campaign in a, in a healthy and safe uh, in, uh, circumstance regarding in spite of coronavirus. Um, I think the other things that I've learned are that um, some of the issues that inspired us to run are the issues that people truly care about. Um, you know, I've spent hours and hours and hours on the phone um, talking to voters and listening to what's important to them. I had a phone call a couple of weeks ago with a woman named Anne who, um, who runs a small, small business uh, doing um, taxes and financial advising um, for farmers and ranchers. And she was almost in tears talking to me about um, how worried she was about some of her clients because they had experienced um, the devastating impacts of billion dollar loss in Nebraska's agricultural economy because of the trade war. Um, last spring, they experienced devastating flooding and now they're struggling to find markets and fair prices uh, in a post-coronavirus world. Um, and so one of the things that we have taken away from our primary campaigning um, is a deeper commitment to understanding that the policy issues that we're fighting for in Washington, D.C. are the personal issues um, that matter to our friends and neighbors. And the, the consequences um, in, in our current economic situation are, are, so, um, are so essential right now. <laughs> They're so, um, they, are, they, are, they are so deep right now that we have to be committed to keep working and running to win. I have to assume that it makes it much easier to have a, a handle on the pulse of what Nebraskan constituents actually care about just through your experience in the state legislature. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so is that something where does that the way you listen to them, has that shifted much? I mean, in terms when you're thinking about what does it look like in federal legislation rather than state legislation, or is it still kind of the same sort of input of information and then process in your brain? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I would say there is um, there's more frustration and anger about federal legislation. Um, in many ways, Nebraska can take pride in how accessible um, local elected officials are. Um, we have one of the most open um, and accessible uh, unicamerals, you know, state. Um, state governments in the country. Um, for example, the, the media is always allowed um, on the floor when we're debating issues. So I, I think there is a real divide between um, how people feel heard on the local and state level because of that sort of Nebraska way of um, connecting and um, knowing one another and how they feel ignored on the federal level, um, especially folks who have problems that are um, are kind of chronic. Um, folks who have struggled their entire professional lives to afford health insurance coverage, um, folks who have struggled to keep the family farm going in spite of all of those challenges we discussed. And, you know, increasingly folks like the folks who have expressed themselves over the last week, um, who've experienced uh, injustice and racism and are seeking change. So I, I think the biggest difference between um, what I have heard as a state elected official and what I have heard as a candidate for Congress 
um, is that Nebraskans don't feel that they are being heard on the federal level and will be a different kind of candidate and different kind of Congress member um, who is more committed to that because it, it matters to American democracy. Outside of uh, farming and healthcare, what are some of the other issues that you care a lot about and would want to make specific progress on? Um, great question. I think a couple of the other issues that are, are very important to me, um, building on my my career and my personal experience, are early childhood education and community service. Um, early childhood education, I think, is a, a fundamental strategy to address some of the chronic problems that we're seeing expressed um, in in uh, tense and difficult and, and sometimes um, even violent ways uh, in the past few weeks. Um, what we know is that nutrition, speech development, um, social emotional skill development, and educational development um, in those early years can set a young person on a pathway to success um, for the rest of their lives. And growing um, access to early childhood education is, is something that I believe in both as a policymaker and as a social worker, because we know the, the personal and the political benefits of doing so. Um, so that's that's a passion passion issue for me. I also um, really believe in community service, and I'd like to to grow our community service programs. I think that's especially important now as we face record unemployment um, post coronavirus. Uh, getting people engaged in those opportunities to serve their communities um, that contribute to the next step in their political or sorry in their professional careers. Um, I think is a strategy that not only helps um, people build skills, but also helps communities um, thrive and helps us solve problems together. So building our national and community service system um, is something else that I'm, I'm passionate about and look forward to working on as a member of Congress. Do you think that the campaigning for the rest of the year and then just the election itself will now be different? Are we in sort of a, a different phase based, based on uh, social distancing and the pandemic? Absolutely. I mean, fundamentally, we, we have to keep each other healthy and safe. And so we have to listen to the best practices of, um, of our public health officials about how, how we interact. Um, I, I also think that, that the issues are different. Um, you know, healthcare and um, access to employment have never been more important. Um, they, they are, they are top of mind for so many people. And, um, those will be issues that I think will be deciding factors in this election. Um, so we'll be finding effective social distance strategies to campaign, whether that's using technology or um, going to community events in, in, a, in a places like parking lots um, to make sure we're still connecting with community members um, while, while also responding to best practices will be how we proceed. Um, but we'll also be dealing with the pressures and tensions um, of people's uh, concerns about their access to jobs and healthcare, um, and I think those things will elevate uh, throughout the fall election. Another issue, you know, just sort of jump off the the coronavirus um, issue is is jobs and job training. Um, I think workforce development has been a pain point in Nebraska for a long time. Um, we don't have enough workers and we don't have enough skilled workers um, to make our, our businesses uh, thrive, succeed, and grow. 
Um, and that means um, taking on um, workforce development in a variety of ways. It means supporting apprenticeship programs, um, supporting Pell Grants, which is something I would critique Jeff Fortenberry on. Um, he's, he's not supported investments in Pell Grants. And I think um, that is one of the, the fundamental um, tools that we have in our toolbox to help um, people who don't have opportunities for higher education access higher education, but also fill the skills that we need in Nebraska. We need healthcare workers, we need IT workers, we need people um, who can help us compete in a global economy. Um, I think it also means um, helping small businesses um, compete and thrive um, because those entrepreneurs are the ones who are going to help us um, compete in a global economy and put people to work. Um, and, and so that means you know, tax credits for their health insurance um, costs for their employees, those kinds of things I think will, will help us move along. Um, so to answer your question, another issue that I think is essential in the 2020 election is job training and job opportunity. One last thing I want to ask, just because I'm curious, it has really no bearing anything else, is uh, you talked about how you, when you were a child you would save all the farm cats. Do you have a lot of pets right now? <laughs> I I don't. Um, the the truth is that um, that I have spent so much time working and serving um, that it it wouldn't be fair to have a a pet at home. Um, but I I will share with you since you you asked about the personal side of things. Um, Sh Sean and I hope to get married soon, and one of our plans uh, is to adopt. Um, we, that's one of the next things in our life. Uh, we really hope to adopt a child and grow our family. Um, and it's, it's really an outgrowth of, um, of our, uh, desire for a family, but also our commitment to serving kids. Um, and we, we look forward to meeting that little person who is, who is ours and who joins our family when we can. Well, congratulations on the start of your family. And yeah, uh, thank, and we're getting there. Yeah. And uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much for your, your interest in our campaign. And thanks for spending time with me. Kate Bowles is a congressional candidate and current Nebraskan state senator who is the Democratic challenger to sitting Representative Jeff Fortenberry for Nebraska's first congressional district. Check out our previous conversations with the people who want to represent you in our backlog wherever you get podcasts for conversations with Don Bacon, Kari Eastman, and Chris Janicek. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarban Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Next week, we'll be playing a conversation with author Dave Mullins. Thank you for listening. I am Tom Noblock.